you have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of uh, Joshua? Book of Joshua, it's in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. During the month of September, we are not going to be going through any type of series. We're going to talk about some one-off messages uh, that I think would be appropriate for us to know at this point, things that God's put on my heart uh, for us to share or for me to share with you. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, please follow along with, um, with one of the Bibles in the pockets underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, and as I say every week, I'd like to, to encourage you, if you're here and you do not have a Bible in a translation that you understand, that is our gift to you, please take that with you. I cannot emphasize how significant it is for each one of us to have a copy of Scripture in a translation that we understand. You're not stealing it from us, we're giving it to you, and it is yours to keep. Uh, so we want you to have that as well. Um, but while you're turning there, Joshua in the Old Testament, Ma- um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, book number six in the Old Testament. As you're turning there, I want to talk to you this morning about um, stones. I want to talk to you about remembering the stones. Today's message is called Remember the Stones. And, and what it refers to is something in Joshua here that we're going to talk about. Stones in the scripture are memorials, they're markers that you see in Scripture across the Old and the New Testament where they were, they were built to remind people of God's faithfulness. And I think if we took a step back and I just asked you this question, I think we would agree with this, that there are things in our lives, markers, things that we have maybe built in our own lives or maybe things we've held on to over the years that remind us of certain things in our lives. Maybe it is a, um, uh, maybe it's a wedding ring. Wedding rings are reminders of a covenant that was made between you and your spouse, right? I mean, in the history, I've told people this, um, in the 24 years that we've been married, I've never taken my ring off, not once. It fell off uh, two weeks after we got married when I was fixing my wife's car, but, but now it, it can't come off. <laughs> so, so that just means the ring got smaller. Um, no, actually... <laughs> But, but a, a ring is, is a memory. It's something that says it was a covenant that was made, and it's significant. But any one of our senses, our five senses, can remind us of these things as well. You know, what we see, what we smell, what we hear, what we touch. All of these different things of our senses are things that can remind us of circumstances. And I think we understand that if, if you go out into your car and you turn your radio on or you listen to an, uh, a podcast or something and a song comes on, It might bring you back to a specific place at a specific time, and you remember exactly what happened during that time. Anybody have an experience like that? There are certain songs that you just go, yes, I remember that. Now, there are other certain songs that you maybe never want to hear again, you know, because maybe it remembers, you remember, it reminds you of things that you don't want to remember. You know, I remember growing up in the 80s, some of the best music in the history of the world, no offense to the rest of you, and some of the best hair, by the way. Um, but the 80s had some awesome, like, power ballads. And I remember being in cars with friends, like the friends that would, like, break up with people, like, every three or four months. And they always, I'm like, don't get a song, because in two months you're not going to be dating, and then we can't listen to that song anymore. And I remember being in the cars with some of my friends, and the song would come on, can you please change the stage? No, man, I like this song. You break up with everyone two every three months. Stop breaking up with people. You're ruining my, my song. And, and my point is saying in that is sometimes there's memories that are good, and then there are sometimes there are memories that are not good, but we associate things with memories. 
We associate smells. We associate places. We associate memorials with memories. And, and they're not always good, but they can be good, but they can be bad as well. God knows this. He created us to associate things so that when we see them, we are reminded of things like this. He did it with Israel, and he does it for us today. When I call the message today, remember the stones, the reason why I'm saying that is because we need to remember the faithfulness of God in our lives. If we don't have memorials, if we don't build memorials or have those special things that remind us of what God has done in our lives, we are very quick to forget. And when we forget, not only do we disadvantage us, but we disadvantage the generations of those that are coming after us. All they do is experience maybe what we're doing here by going to church or reading scripture, but they don't hear the heritage of what God has faithfully done from generation to generation to generation. And we need to remember. And yet we forget. So if you have Joshua chapter 4, I want to show you how God set this up and how it can apply to us today. Super, super powerful, I think. Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Let me set it up for you. Israel has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of you know this. After being in oppression for over 450 years, they were in oppression under the hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt. They are now released into the wilderness. God sets them free after 10 different plagues. They spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering and God God finally brings them to the place that they are going into the promised land, which, by the way, they were 39 years before they got there the second time. The first time it took one year to get there. They disobeyed God, and then they wandered in the wilderness for 39 more years. I don't know if you know that or not, but it was a one-year journey to bring them to that place. And they said, we're not going to do this. So the number of days the spies were actually in the wilderness or in the promised land when they came back were the number of years they were going to wander again. So 40 years, they come back to the same place God brought them 39 years before, and they're getting ready to cross into the promised land. And this is what God says through Joshua. He says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, okay, because what happened was that the instruction of the Lord was the priests of Israel, the Levites, would step into the water with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was the, was the box that the presence of God represented the presence of God, and he dwelled within this Ark, that the, the, the Ark would go into the water and the priests would, would, would step into the water. And when they would step in, from the moment they would step in, the water would stop. And it would begin to overflow its banks way up north from that point, And they would walk on dry ground. And all million plus of the Israelites walked through. And this was the instruction from God to the nation of Israel. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Verse four, then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon its shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. And Father, I just come before you and I just ask as we continue to look at your word and we continue to ask you to speak through your word that our hearts and the soil of our hearts, Lord, would be open to receive the word so that it doesn't just fill our heads, but it changes our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. After the miracle, 
and they walk through the Jordan, God tells Joshua to select 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? Because the 12 tribes were complete. All of Israel represented 12 tribes. One person from every tribe was to go into the Jordan to the very place the priests stood and to pull a stone out of the Jordan and put it on their shoulder and to walk out of the Jordan. Why? Because that would be a stone of remembrance. That would be a marker that everyone in every generation from that time on would be able to look to as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Look in verse six. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut out cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. This was the whole point. God knows that we are people that tend to forget. I know that I'm a person that can tend to forget. I think as we grow older, sometimes we can tend to forget even more. I'm still amazed when we get together as a family. And, and I don't know why, but, but sometimes, you know, my, my children or my sister especially likes to remind me of the bad things I did to my mom or, or I acted with my mom. And uh, we do it in joking. And my mom looks at me and says, I don't remember those things. Did you really do those things? I'm like, no, I didn't do them. She's lying. And my sister's like... What are you talking about? I was there. And I'm like, she doesn't remember them. And she's the one who has to remember them. They never happen. As we get older, we forget these things. It's true. I, I mean, no offense to some of the people here across our church, but there are some times, and I, I realize it as I'm getting older, I go, Lord, I legitimately sometimes forget the names of people in our church. And I might have known you for years. You know, like my, my brain just goes on vacation for a moment. And I may sit there and see someone in the lobby and go, help me, God. And like, you know, so my brain's going through a filing cabinet trying to figure out what is that person again? And I try to do word. Okay, that person, this and that. Yes. And then the connection finally happens. We have these moments in our lives where our brain goes on vacation, right? Some of us understand that that happens at different times in our lives. God knows that we are going to be people prone to forget certain things. And the way that he wants us to remember his faithfulness is to build monuments, not that the monument has any power, and the monument can be different. In this situation, it was a stone. The monument could be a Bible to you. The monument to you could be um, a little thing that you picked up on maybe a vacation that you saw God's faithfulness. It may be a song. It could be whatever it is that you associate with in that moment, God delivered. God did miracles. You know what I'm talking about? It can look different for every single one of us. It doesn't have to look exactly the same. The point is, when we have those stories, we have those monuments, we can share the story of God's faithfulness with every generation that comes after us. And that's what matters. Because if we don't share the stories to the generation that comes after us, it will take just a few moments for them to recognize that there's no life in going to a church service to hear a word that has no substance. Because the word itself isn't the only thing that gives life. We overcome, the scripture says in Revelation, by the blood of the Lamb. It's the word, the gospel of Christ, and the word of our testimony. 
and they go together. When the apostle Paul went and he spoke to the church in Corinth and he only spoke of Jesus Christ and him crucified, he also came and accompanied what he did with signs and wonders. So it's the word that's spoken accompanied with the action of God. Make sense? And we have to have both of these together. And when God moves... We have to be willing to have these, these stones, these memorials in our lives so that when we come to those times and we feel darkness or we question what's going on, and that will happen. When we go, God, where are you right now? God, what's going on? I know that you're, you're, you love me and I know that this is, this is um, just going to be a moment, but I feel like I'm walking through a dark time right now. We have to be able to look to the stones of what he's already done and say he was faithful then. He will be faithful now, and he will be faithful tomorrow. Are you with me? This is so important, and we cannot forget the need to build these things. Every generation needs to remember the need for us to do this, because if we don't impart the truth to our kids, they will grow up at some point. And if all they heard is, go to church and have, you know, participate in things and do that, but they don't see the hand of God moving in their lives, they will walk away from the things of God. Well, why do I need to go to church? I could do something else on Sunday morning. Why do I need to serve there? I could serve at an organization. It's not just attending and hearing what God's word says. It's recognizing the need. And not, I'm sorry, recognizing the results of what he wants to do in us and through us that brings true life. And that's what we need to be talking about. And it's so super important for us to do that. So miracles that God did through Israel were testified through the memorials. They were spoken of for generations to come through the memorials. The miracles that God wants to do through us today have to also have memorials so that we can look back and we can share the stories so that we can look ahead. Now, the question I have for me, that I would be a question that I want to ask for you, is I wonder how many of us are content to just share the stories of old. Are you content to just share the stories of what God used to do or what God did a month ago or two years ago or 20 years ago in your life? Or do you want to believe him today for miracles in our lives for tomorrow? Because I believe that the scripture says Jesus never changes. And I believe that the same God that was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same God that lives today. And I believe that the miracles that we see in Scripture are not... Scripture says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the good things that God has in store for those that love him. God is always looking to do new things in our lives, and today is no different. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you to consider, are you interested, willing, and hungry to see God do new things in 2018? I want to see that. My heartbeat is to see that. Because if the best things about walking with Christ are from behind, there's a lot better stuff we can do with our days. God wants to continue to have the church move forward. He's building the church. He's changing and he's the one, he's changing us and he's the one that will do it if we want him to be a part of it and we allow him to do it. So how do we experience God's miracles? And, and when, I, when I say miracle, first let me clarify, my definition of miracle is a very broad definition of miracle. Okay, you might prescribe a miracle as water to wine or seeing a blind person see or a dead person made well or a person that's deaf be able to hear or whatever it is, a physical healing. And those are miracles, but miracles are very, very wide. There's a lot of stuff that can happen that I believe is a definition of miracle. The greatest miracle God can ever do is change the heart of a sinful person. 
That is the greatest miracle God can do. Genuine repentance is the greatest miracle that God could ever do. I'm not disqualifying the others. I'm just saying, when you want to talk about seeing miracles, I want to ask you to first look at yourself and go, do you want to see God do a miracle in your heart? Do you want to see God draw you closer to him like like you've never seen him before? Do you want to speak with God like Moses spoke to the Lord, like a friend speaks to a friend? Do you want to see God put words of knowledge and truth in your heart or take every gift that he's ever given you or wants to give you and have it expressed anywhere that he asks you to do so that you don't walk through life surviving, but you walk through life thriving. That's what I want to see in my heart. That's what I desire. And I believe that's what he wants the church of Jesus Christ to experience in 2018. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, by building the stones Those are one way for us to remember God's faithfulness in the past. But here's what I want to talk to you about moving forward. And I think it's it's one verse, but it's a thread that you see all through Scripture on how we recognize and how we begin to experience God's miraculous work in us and through us. And it's the chapter before here, before they walk through the Jordan. And I want to show you this in verse 5 of chapter 3. Before they ever walk through the Jordan and saw the miracles, this is what happens. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And what I want to share briefly this morning is simply this. Spiritual preparation is required to experience God's miracles. Spiritual preparation is required and is necessary in order to experience God's miracles. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a world where we want the result, but we don't necessarily want to do the work. We live in a world where we want to see the end product and we want to celebrate. Everybody wants to be at the top of their game, but few people are willing to put the effort to get there. And the same thing applies spiritually. We want to see God do miracles. We want to see him change our hearts. We want to see him break addictions in our lives. We want to see our marriages restored. We want to see our neighbors come to Christ. We want to see people lay hands on other people and and they're physically healed from their things. We want to see people that are far from God give their lives to Christ. But how many of us are willing to be spiritually prepared to see that happen? Or do we just walk through life on autopilot expecting that we can have a lot when we give very little? This isn't a finger pointing thing. It's, a, it's looking at me too saying, am I willing to go the, nine, all, the, the full nine yards or everything that God wants me to give? Am I willing to be 100% vested and to be fully consecrated to what he's asking me to do so that when the opportunity comes, I'm ready. When he wants to move, he has people that are prepared. You know, I heard someone tell me a long time ago in an old adage about success, and it said success is really 90% preparation and 10% opportunity. And I think the same thing applies in terms of our spiritual life, that somehow we understand in the physical that that's true because none of us can desire to become Olympic athletes and ever get there if we don't train. People that actually make it to the Olympic trials and compete and represent their country get up every day. They watch their diet. They train intensely for hours upon hours. They eat right. They exercise. They sleep. All the things that they need to do so that their body is fully conditioned, they train in different levels at different places ready for the day that they can actually be the best that they could possibly be. Do we do that spiritually? Are we preparing ourselves spiritually? 
You know, there are different levels and hierarchies in the spirit realm. And I think sometimes, uh, it's a silly example, but I think sometimes we, we, we think that we can join the spiritual army of God as privates and go up and fight against generals. And that's silly. It doesn't work that way. Well, I just got, my, I got saved and I'm going to go after him and, and, and there's hell and, and, and I've, got, I've got a spray bottle and I'm going to take on hell with a spray bottle. And God's like, you, you can't do that. I love you, I've saved you, and I'm going to grow you, and I have great things that I want to do in you and through you, but you need to be prepared. You need to be consecrated. What is consecration? True consecration means that we are pure before God. It means that we are set apart for God's purposes. We are dedicated to his purposes and his plans only. Now, that doesn't mean that you know all we do is sit home all day and pray. Okay, that's silly. That's not what I mean. I mean every gift that God has given us, every resource God has given us, our eyes, our ears, what we focus on, what we listen to, what we use our time for, what we use our resources and our money for, what we allow into our heart to plant seeds in our lives are fully dedicated to the things of God. That's what it means to be consecrated. It's kind of like like a debit card. Now, Truthfully, I was going to use a check for this example, but I realized there are people in this world that don't know what a check is anymore. So I was like, I need to upgrade my example here. Um, I thought it was a great idea, and then I'm like, that's silly. Some of you would, but like, I don't understand what the check is. But most people understand a debit card, right? A debit card is directly linked to my checking account or savings account. And every resource connected to this debit card I have access to as long as I know the number as long as I know the expiration date, as long as I know the code on the back, and I have the four-digit pin. I can use this for anything I want, for anything, to help anyone, to do whatever I want. This, this card represents full access to all of those resources, right? Now, if I went down here uh, to Maria, and I said, hey, Maria, I'm going to give you my debit card, okay? All right, so there's my debit card. You can have that, okay? And um, that's legitimately my debit card, so I want it back, okay? But if I gave that to Maria and I said, you can do whatever you want to do with it, does Maria have full access to that card? Absolutely not. Could she go online and could she type some things in? And don't do it now. But, but could, she, could she do that kind of stuff if she wanted to? Yes, she could probably bypass and get a couple things done. But if she doesn't have the four-digit code, she can't walk into a store and swipe it, right? Because they want to know the code. So she's limited in some of those things. When we are fully consecrated to God, when we are dedicating our lives to God, as if we say to God, God, our life is fully in your hands. You have full access, like that card has full access to our account. Thank you very much. (laughs) Note to self, don't use Maria for a few... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Our life has full access. God, you have full access. I'm giving you the card. I'm giving you access to my life. I'm giving you the passcode. I'm giving you the number. And you can use every resource associated with this card for your purposes. And what are those resources? Sometimes those resources are our time. Sometimes there are skills. Sometimes there are gifts. Sometimes they're all of the above or something different. The danger is that when we allow our resource or ourselves to be dedicated to things that are not God's plan or God's will. So we spend time in things that actually work against God's will. We allow our eyes to to focus on things that are not of God. And the purity thing becomes a problem. 
or we allow our ears to listen to things that are not of God and we begin to fill our ears and our minds with things that are not God's plan. If we strip all that away and we give him full access to our lives and we're dedicated, that is the beginning to begin to see God's miracles in our lives. Preparation, being set apart, consecration, it's super, super important. And it is a theme we, all, we see all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I really believe in my heart that we struggle with this today. I know as a human myself, I look at my own life and I go, God, there are some things that I'm fully committed and devoted to you and I want to do. And then there are other areas of my life and I go, I'm not really sure if I'm preparing myself like I should. So when the day comes and the opportunity is in front of me, are you going to be able to get a hold of me and say, now I'm ready to use you if I haven't been doing the work and preparing myself? You see, I believe in my heart that there are people all throughout this church that have gifts that are not being used to the full potential. I believe there are things in my life that are not being used to the full potential. I believe he's called some people to be incredible evangelists across our church that can speak the word of God and bring people and challenge them and love them, but, but maybe they're not preparing the way that they should be prepared. Or there are people that God has put in their hearts words of knowledge and discernment, and he's saying, I'm, I'm growing them in you, and I want you to just get out there, and I want you to start hearing my voice more so that you can speak truth into other people, but maybe they're not developing it as much. Or people with incredible spiritual gifts of generosity, but maybe they have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And they're struggling with how much is theirs and how much is God's. And God says, if you prepare yourself for all of these things, when the opportunity comes, you will see that I will work miracles among you. And that's what I believe he wants to do in every one of us. We want to see the miracles. We want to see people healed. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see the purposes in our lives fulfilled. Are we preparing ourselves the way he has called us to be prepared? Being consecrated, being set apart, and it all begins with a heart of repentance to turn towards him and not away. You see, the issue here is not about what God can do for us, but it's about what he can do in us. And when we come to him and consecrate ourselves, what we're really saying is, God, the relationship with you is a greater priority for me than anything you can do around me. I want to know you more than I want you to do stuff for me or around me. Does that make sense? It's so important for us to recognize that. We see that in our own world. I have three children. I was a child at one point. I think most of us were children at some point in our lives. Our parents know when we want to spend time with them versus when we want to spend time with them because we want stuff. They know. We joke about that sometimes. I mean, my wife and I joked about it just a couple of months ago in a certain circumstance where we had a conversation that was very surprising to us. And and afterwards, we walked outside and we went, what do they want? You know, and we're like, what is that about? I'm not telling you who it was. It doesn't matter. It's not important. But what matters is that this is how we're wired sometimes. Behaviors begin to change when we want something. Can I tell you the most beautiful thing? to prepare you and prepare me for the miracles that God wants to do is to just want to know him. I just want to sit at your feet, Jesus. I just want to talk to you and I want you to talk to me. I want to make time each day and prepare myself to be in a relationship. 
Well, you've got all these other things you need to do. You're busy. The calendar's going. Listen, we have 24 hours in our day, just like every other person that's ever lived on the face of the earth. You mean to tell me that we're so important now and we're so technologically advanced that we can't get everything done today like they could have done 50 years or 100 years ago? Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's not about not having enough hours. It's about putting the right things in the right order, setting ourselves apart so that when the training is done and the preparation is completed, when God is ready to move, he says, I can use you and you and you and you and you, and you're ready to move because the opportunity is here and I know that you're prepared and ready to go. But many times we sit there with our arms folded or our hands closed or we're not confident enough. Well, God couldn't ever use me that way. Can I ask you if there are things in your life that you have that God has put in your heart that you want to develop and you want to grow in. God's given you a heart of compassion, generosity, maybe music, maybe worship, maybe teaching. What are you doing today to develop those things so that when it comes time for the miracles, you're ready? Are you ready? And maybe it's not so much the things you need to do. Maybe it's things you have to stop doing and I need to stop doing. Maybe it's distractions that are keeping me from growing in those things. Maybe it's sin that's actually separating me from God. God, I need a miracle. And God says, you got to just let that go. You got to stop doing this kind of stuff and consecrate yourself. Give me full access to your heart and watch what I can do. When we see the miracles of what God wants to do, we can't help but celebrate that. And I wanted to share a little bit of some miracles that maybe all of us can relate to because we're here, right here at Bridge this morning at 983 Allentown Road. You know, this church is a miracle in the making. This church exists because God did a miracle, not in one church, but in two churches, because the beginning of Bridge actually was the end of two other churches. And some of you know the story. Some of you maybe were here from the beginning and others, you don't really know the story. But I want to share with you this morning is that when two churches that had their own issues and their own struggles and their own problems, and we both did recognize that we would be more effective working together than apart, God began doing miracles. So I wanted to back up for a few moments this morning, and I wanted to talk about some of the miracles just briefly that God did here in both churches and in this place so that you can actually see that his hand of provision was here. The church that met in this location I was not part of it. It was called Maranatha Assembly of God. In that place, the church, when they bought this property over 25 years ago, they bought it from the bank, which was right here up the hill. It wasn't a PNC bank. It was called Continental Bank. And when that bank um, sold them the property, it was $70,000 was the purchase price that they were selling the property for, about five and a half acres. And the bank owned this property and the property that the muffler stop is over there up to White's Road. And they sold the church the property for $70,000, but the church only had $50,000 in cash to buy the property. So this small church on Green Street over in Lansdale wanted to buy this property and they only had 50. And they were like, we really can only buy it for 50, but the bank wants to charge us 70. So they decided to finance the other $20,000 from that bank. And the realtor contacted them before they went into settlement and said, oh, I have a pleasant surprise for you guys. And then they went into settlement sometime after that. And when they looked at all the paperwork that was there, the bank had all the paperwork drafted for $50,000. And they said, what is this? And they said, well, we're going to sell. No, there's there's a problem. There's a problem. All this is typed out wrong. It's $70,000, not $50,000. No, no, everything's right. It's $50,000. So the property was sold for $50,000, 
And the vice president of the bank that was there at that location, afterwards I was told, went up to one of the people, and one of the people said to them, thank you for blessing us. That was an incredible blessing. And this is what I was told the vice president said. I don't even know why I did it. I don't even know why I did it. And I think that's the best example of God's faithfulness because he will grant us favor with those that are even our enemies. Not saying he was an enemy. I'm just saying we don't even know why God does certain things or how God does it, but he can change the heart of an individual just like that. And it's just funny because they said, we don't even know why God did it. And we're like, well, we know why God did it. So this property was purchased for $50,000 when that's all the church could afford. Fast forward to when the first meeting was going to happen in this church on a Sunday morning. And I just heard this story last, last week from Kent Gurthy, and he told me this story. It was an awesome story just to be reminded of. The church had on a Saturday morning, they had the plumber come out to hook up the water main uh, line at the street. And the line was already run out to the street. They just had to hook it up at the main, and then they'd have service the next day. And he said the plumber called him in the morning and said, we have a problem. There's no water hookup on Allentown Road. They trenched the line all the way out there. There was no water main there on the road. So they had no water, and they were supposed to start their first service here the next day. How many of you know you can't use a bathroom without water? It wasn't going to work, and they wouldn't get the occupancy to do that. I'm not sure how that would have worked. So what did they do? They went back to the bank, and they said, hey, White's Road has an access point over there. Can we get permission for you to actually trench the line from there to get over here? On that day, the bank approved that this church could have a plumber come and trench the line from White's Road all the way across for their property, connect to our church, and they were able to have water by the end of the day. The water company came on a Saturday. Come on now. On a Saturday and trenched from White's Road all the way to this building, crossing the bank's property so they could have water on Sunday morning. And he said they had that water line for one to two years before they finally connected to Allentown Road. Can you imagine trying to contact the utility company on a Saturday morning in 2018? The best you would get is an answering machine or a voicemail. Hey, thanks for calling us. Let us get, you know, give us your number. We'll get back to you when we feel like it next week. On a Saturday morning, and he said in less than 24 hours from the time that they recognized they had no water main to the time it was done, and the church was in meeting the very next day. That is another miracle. Isn't it a miracle? That's God's miracle. Those are milestones and markers that we see. Fast forward to when the church was actually in the process of continuing to build here. And the policy of the, the people that were here at, at the church at that point at Maranatha was that when the money would come in, they would continue to add on, and they would continue to finish the building as it was being built. The story was told of me that there was this Sunday morning service and they were having service while they were in and they didn't have any more money to continue the projects in the building. And this man walked into the service that nobody ever knew before. And they didn't know his name and they didn't know where he was from and they never met him before. And before the day was over, they realized he dropped a check for $30,000 in the offering that morning and he left and he never came back ever again. They never knew who he was. They never knew where he was from, but he left a check for $30,000. And the funniest part about that, when I heard the story yesterday, Ken said, and it cleared. <laughs> Is God faithful? 
You bet he's faithful. Now I can, I can switch gears and I could talk about, you know, our integration and I could talk about how the work that was happening on, on Christian life side, when we were over on that side and how we integrated the two churches together. I could tell you when we finally decided to put the two churches together, the tough place that we were for some time, but when we finally put the two churches together, the beauty that God did by taking different churches with different DNAs and different cultures and putting them together so that he could continue to do the work in Lansdale that he purposed for this place to be done many years ago. I could sit here and I could tell you some of the awesome stories. I'm just amazed at looking at some of the things, how, how when we were going to do a, a three month rebuild in this place, and we were going to renovate the building in three months with six contractors sitting here bidding on that project, the one contractor looking at me and taking the plans and throwing them on the table. And he said, you want to get this job done in 90 days? Good luck, pastor. You better start praying. And he walked out of the door and that was not a fun day. I was like, good Lord, what did I get myself into? He's like, this is crazy. He was angry because he wanted the job, but he's like, I can't do this in 90 days. You guys are crazy. And I sat there. I was like, well, God, this is in your hands. Are we going to do it? Are we not? And the contractor that we had signed on to do the renovations, he didn't do it in 90 days. He did in 89 days. And he was underneath. Yes. Yes. And he was underneath the welcome center painting the little black trim on day 89, right before we walked in. And I was amazed to go, he did it. God did it. And we want to say thank you for that. When we were getting ready to finish our kids' program, and some of you have heard our kids' hallway, some of you have heard the story before that I'm still amazed at. And our kids' hallway used to have this big rubber mat and this floor. And these are just small little markers that I'm remembering when I look back. And there was this one piece of rubber mat that was a different color that we needed to make this road stripe right down the road in the middle of the, of the hallway. And we didn't have any available. And I called the company and the Uh, the um, architect was here and I called the company and I gave them the number of the product that we needed. And they said, that's a special order product. You won't get that for six to eight weeks. I said, well, we're moving in in a week. How can we get it faster than that? And she said, you can't. It's six to eight weeks. It's special order. And you have to order it in a certain amount of quantity for it to actually be ordered. And I said, okay. And she goes, well, tell me again what the quantity is. And I told her, I said, tell me again what the color is. Gave her the color, the number. She goes, let me just go in the back and see what else is laying around, if there's anything lying around. And I said, okay. So she came back five minutes later and she said, there is one piece of rubber floor in the color that you want sitting on the shelf up high that I pulled down. And here's the dimensions of it. Will that work? And I said, I think it will. So they FedExed it to me, and it came in two days. The flooring guy was here the same day the FedEx truck pulled up to use it, and he cut that thing into six strips, and we needed, I'm sorry, he cut it into eight strips, and we needed eight strips. Perfect timing, and God did it. Those are tiny little things that I can share about God's provision here. And don't they build your faith and increase your faith when you see how God's faithful? Here's the part that you really need to hear, though, because we can share those things and we can say that's wonderful. But here's what I think is super important. Before we ever put our two churches together, and the church that I was a part of, Christian Life Church, and we were in a difficult place in the middle of a transmission, figuring out what we wanted to do and what God wanted to do through us, we began praying every Wednesday night for two years. And every Wednesday night, 
Christopher Dock High School Auditorium was open for anyone in the church that would come and join us. And we faithfully sat there every, two, every Wednesday night and prayed for two years that God would help us in the transition, that God would help us with leadership, that God would show us what the future would be for the church for two years. And I know there because I was there almost every Wednesday night. What's even more significant that I look at it from this side is at the same time going on over here as we saw a church on this side that was struggling and was losing people and was struggling to make ends meet and have their finances and their expenses met, met four people met every Saturday night in this room for five years seeking God's hand. Five years, four people asking God to do something. And the numbers got smaller and less people came and there was less money. And then when the timing was right, God did an amazing thing and began doing something that was really quite miraculous. And I look at that and I go, God, that's a great story for me to tell about nine or 10 years ago. But can I tell you, today is 2018. And if that's all we're going to do, if we're going to hang our hats on something that happened 10 years ago, we are missing the point. The point of what we want to see this morning and what we want to see in 2018 is that the church of God, and I mean our church, recognizes and we recognize individually that the wonders and the miracles that God has in plan for us are greater ahead than they were in the past. That he has more planned for you and I in the future than he had even in the past. But the catalyst for that is that we consecrate ourselves. The catalyst for that is that we prepare ourselves. We purify ourselves. We don't put one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We pursue God and we say, God, the lives of men and women for eternity are at stake. My family is at stake. My marriage is at stake. My children are at stake. And everything that matters to us that can last for eternity is at stake more than personal gain to build our earthly kingdoms. Are we willing to pursue God that way? Are we willing to be set apart or are we just going to walk through life? Because I can be honest, we're not a big church, but we're not a little church. But it'd be real easy for people to walk through and go, I just feel good coming. I hear a nice message. I'm in a part of a group here and there. I struggle with things in life. And this is really the rest of my life and what it's going to look like. And can I tell you, if you're a Christian and that's what you believe, you're deceived. Because that is not what God has asked you or I to do. And that's not the way he's called us to live. The devil is good at just turning up the fire a little at a time to cook us to death. And we won't even get out of the pan because we don't even recognize it's happening to us. He wants to awaken our hearts to things to say, the way I've called you to live is not to survive, it's to thrive. And the way you're going to thrive is by consecrating yourself for me. Being set apart. So I ask you this morning, are you set apart for God? Are you doing spiritual preparation because it is required and necessary in order to see the miracles that God wants to do in you and through you? If you're here this morning and you have a relationship that you've struggled with, what preparations are you doing to repair that relationship? If your marriage is on the verge of falling apart or you feel like it's just not full of life anymore, what preparation are you doing to invest in that so God can do a miracle. If you're stuck in some type of an addiction or this ongoing sin that you just can't seem to get, what preparations are you doing? Or do you just expect one day when you're sitting in the church that God's going to touch you and all of it goes away? It doesn't work that way. Are there situations that God delivers people of things? You bet he does. But that is the exception to the rule. It's not the rule. 
What he wants to do supernaturally is for people whose hearts are already his because we're followers of Jesus to continue each and every day to die to ourselves so that he can make us full of life. As the worship team comes, I just want to close with this scripture in Galatians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul says this about himself. A man who was full of the things of the world, he didn't consider himself worldly. He thought he was a very religious man. But look what he said after he came to know Jesus. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. Think about that just for a moment. My old self has been crucified with Christ. The things that made me who I am before Jesus are dead. But now it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I share this verse with you today because I think it's a lifestyle that he is calling us to live. I believe, if we sit here honestly, I believe in my heart that there are many of us would sit here and say, I want to see God do greater miracles this year than he's ever done before. I mean, do we believe that today? And maybe that miracle starts in your heart. Maybe that miracle is in your home. Maybe it's in your your community or your family. Maybe it's here on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's a gift that God has put in you and he says, you know I put this in you and you're like, God, I want to see this expressed. I want to see this manifest. I want to see. I'm tired of waiting. I want to see it. Are we waiting actively or are we waiting passively? Because the miracle that he wants to do in my life, I know he will continue to do those miracles as I am continually submitting myself to his will. As I allow myself to be prepared, to be trained, I know that God will continue to use me in that way. I went back and looked at a journal the other day that I had, that I wrote down years ago, right after I graduated college. And one of the things I wrote on there as a long-term goal was that I would be involved in some capacity of full-time ministry. I never thought I'd be in pastoral work. I never thought God would call me to do pastoral stuff, but I would just be involved in some full-time way of ministry. And I look back at that and I think, I would have I would have killed everybody in the church if God put me in a pastoral role the year I graduated college. I mean, I would have beat him up and beat him down and I would have made a mess of things. And we're already a mess, right? I mean, let's be honest. Like we each struggle with our own little messes. But I look back at that and I'm like, God, it was your grace for those around me and for me that didn't ever allow me to be in a role like that for a a long time. Because he said, you need to learn. You need to prepare. And even in that time, there's still been people that have been hurt. And there's still been things that I wish we could redo. But I look at that and go, we can't just look ahead to what we want in our hearts down the road and not go through the preparation process. Consecrate ourselves, he says. Consecrate ourselves. And we will see greater miracles tomorrow than we've ever seen in the past. Amen? Will you stand with me this morning? Will you please stand? God, I just want to take a few moments and as we get ready to close with this song, I want the song to just have a deep meaning. We, we sing this song and it's called Do It Again where we're saying, I've seen you move, God. I've seen the mountains moved in our lives and I believe you can do it again. I don't want to just camp on the miracle. As we sing those songs, my heart this morning is that maybe we will be able to look inward and say, God, the miracle is what we desire to see but the preparation is what we're dedicated to walk out. 
change our hearts so that we can be changed. Father, speak to us, we pray this morning, that your miracle will begin in our heart and that we will be set apart for your will.